Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on the lovely AM 950. Hello, happy mo- Monday morning to you. Yes, it's December 7th. I think, what, the 79th anniversary of December 7th, a day that we should always remember. Um, but um, it's also December 7th in the sense that it's a week away from the electors uh, certifying uh, the electoral vote um, for America and all of that stuff. And we are 25 days from ending this God-forsaken year. 2020 has been quite horrible. I think I could get a 100% unanimous um, opinion about that. But good things are on the horizon, everyone. Vaccine looks real. Looks like that maybe by April, maybe May at the latest, that most Minnesotans will have at least received one of two doses of the the vaccine. And President Joe will be sworn in in something like 44 days. So hang on. We are getting there. Hmm. I saw images from Australia yesterday where, um, you know, the Australians... They followed the rules. They wore the masks, you know, like uniformly as a country, and they isolated when they were told. And now Australians are having outdoor concerts. The stores and the restaurants are wide open. It is normal life in Australia. It is. I was so jealous of those images yesterday. If only we Americans had done that. Okay, enough of what ifing. We have a great show today. Um, it's an Ellie's talking head show, which means there won't be a big interview, not even an encore. And I've got to tell you, sometimes when I prepare for this show, it is a mm, kind of a kind of a chore. Okay, uh, but you know what? I am really excited about this show. I am like super excited about it. And uh, it, well, I just you know now. Ellie talking head, that means you're going to be listening to me the whole time. Sorry. Other than the bumper music coming in and coming out, you're just going to get stuck with me, with my ahs, my snorting sometimes because I have post-nasal drip, you know, my tripping over words. Sometimes I can't read things, you know, all uh, that well. You'd hardly ever know that I was a success. (laughs) There you go. Successful trial lawyer for almost 30 years. Uh, Nope, you're going to have me for the next hour dazzling you with my incredible personality and some storytelling. Of course, all of that was with a tongue-in-cheek. In lieu of the big interview, I have some stories about how humans have been good to each other. I think that, isn't that, wouldn't that be nice to have that, to have a reminder, some reminders of how we are good to each other? And in my C-block, I'm going to share some personal news, but you'll have to wait until then to hear what it's about. No teasers. But here in my A block, I want to talk about the power of writing. Um, The power of putting pen or pencil to paper and how it can be cathartic, even cleansing for some humans, for many of us. Some of you uh, know that I am a writer when I'm not on the radio or standing in front of audiences trying to change the world. I am a writer, and I have one installment of my memoir already published, Getting to Ellen, and a second installment, Being Ellen, underway. I was working on it over the weekend. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how happy it was for me to get the book to where it is right now. I mean, we still have a ways to go, but it is farther along, much farther along than what it was this time last year. 
Um, and I can personally attest to the power of writing about how cathartic it, be, it can be. Now, imagine that you are imprisoned, that you are locked up, that you have never been taught how to write. And on top of that, the messaging from society is that you are unworthy because you have offended, broken the laws in some way, and now you are serving your quote-unquote time. And imagine that if you don't know how to write about that, about how to express your emotions, um, about how much worse that can be. And that's what brings me to a small Oklahoma nonprofit named Poetic Justice, founded by a woman named Ellen Stackable. And for what follows, the content was derived from a December 9, 2018 CNN story by Megan Dunn. It turns out that Ellen Stackable was a CNN hero, and this is where I picked up her story from. Our idealist, Ellen Stackable, was an Oklahoma English teacher for almost 20 years when she went back to school to obtain a graduate degree. As she researched her thesis, she discovered that Oklahoma has the highest incarceration rate of women in the United States. So Ellen decided to do something for women at one of the Oklahoma prisons. She began a creative writing and poetry class. And from there in 2014, the program has now expanded uh, to 70 volunteers working in five Oklahoma women's prisons and a prison in California and Tijuana, Mexico. The writing courses um, that Ellen Stackable created and that her nonprofit Poetic Justice uh, take forth, are uh, they last eight weeks. And the women are given help on how to share their experiences and emotions on paper. Uh, they set, uh, the women set their own rules for how the classes will be conducted and how they will share with each other what it is that they have written. At the end of the eight weeks, the women's writings are assembled into a book and copies of the books are given to the students in the class, and I suspect that copies are also made available to loved ones of the women who were the writers. Now, why does this work? Why, why is this nonprofit poetic justice in existence, and why am I telling you about it? For one, the women are in prison are, not, are used to not being seen, to lacking voices or control over their destinies. By creating a safe space to write and share their experiences and emotions, poetic justice gives the women a sense of dignity and self-worth. Everyone, there are so many people not in prison lacking a sense of dignity and self-worth. You can imagine how much it is absent for people behind bars. Writing also allows one to gain self-confidence, which certainly is in short supply for those who are incarcerated. And again, self-confidence is lacking in so many people, free to go, come and go as they choose. Finally, as Ellen Stackable related, once someone finds that they can write, once someone learns how to write, how to get the thoughts that are in your head onto paper 
and where those thoughts then can be shared or read by others. Once that happens, once you learn that tool, once you learn how to do that, guess what? It's something that no one can ever take away from you. (laughs) Don't you like that? Once you learn how to write, no one can steal that from you. Yes, they can take your paper. Yes, they can take your pen. But in your head, trust me, you are composing topic sentences, themes, using words in your head as a writer. And I can assure you that frames the way that you view the world and yourself. Here's how Ellen Stackable explained it to CNN. I wanted something that I felt like wasn't just me reaching down and giving somebody something, but giving them a tool and a way that they can change and empower themselves. Once they find out they can write, no one's ever going to be able to take that away. The only true freedom they have to hold is within themselves because everything else can be taken away from them. So writing becomes really infinitely more powerful for them. I see women being restored to their families. I see them making a difference in other prisoners' lives. I see them changing the atmosphere within prison. And I think that writing is part of that. But underlying writing is a sense of self-worth and employment and agency. To have those things while you're in prison is just counter to the entire system. Those are words (laughs) from Ellen Stackable, an idealist who didn't sit back and who decided to work to change the world. Now, when I came across this story, I googled (laughs) Minnesota prison writing programs. And guess what? There is one. In about a month, give or take, I'm going to have the founder of that program here on this show. And you can hear more then about the power of teaching writing to people who have lost hope. Written words, they provide hope. They do, courtesy of idealists. I hope you like that story, because I sure like it. So, all right, no big interview, remember, Ellie's talking head. So what comes up next are going to be a couple of stories that I think will warm your heart. I hope so, at least. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I'd love hearing from you. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. 
Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. Radio, the show that is, uh, well, on AM 950, I need to say, the show that is about idealism and idealists, the show that is, that gives you reason to again believe in the goodness of all humans. You remember my saying, right? 98% of us are all good humans. We have good, empathetic hearts. 2%, of course, total sociopath, but Jeez, please, will you remember the other 98%? And I'm going to share with you two stories that demonstrate that 98%. I am. Now, remember, no big interview. Now you got me just for this. And Ellie Krug, storyteller. Um, I firmly believe in the power of stories because we are a society of storytellers and listeners. That's how we learn. We learn that way, way better than anything else. Okay. The first of these two stories um, uh, is uh, one that's about the holidays. So, um, but before that, let me begin by explaining the concept of allyship. Now, many of you are familiar with the phrase ally, as in, I'm not gay or lesbian, but I affirm the right of gay and lesbian people to exist. I'm their ally. Okay? That is a status, ally. Allyship, actually, is different. Allyship is a form of action. It is allies doing things to support those groups that they are allies of. So, um, so allyship is like not simply being an ally to gay or lesbian people, but acting to help them. So, remember the effort to defeat the anti-marriage bill back in 2011, 2012, um, allyship was where straight people, that is non-gay or non-lesbian people, d- went to phone banks and did phoning or door knocking to convince people to vote against uh, the, the um, constitutional amendment that would have made marriage only between a man and a woman. That people who went out, straight people who went out and did that, that was allyship because they were acting. Okay. All right. So with our first story. Um, it is about, um, both of these stories I'm going to tell you about are about allyship, but the first one is very, very right on point about allyship. So we begin with the Kennedy family of North Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, this story was reported by the Washington Post's Sydney Page on December 3, and it came to my attention by way of a woman named Stephanie D. Smith 
who is a regular reader of my monthly newsletter, The Ripple. Now, I've talked about The Ripple before. She reads it regularly, and she sent me an email over the weekend. She said, Ellie, looks like Ripple, Ripple material to me. Click below. And you know what, Stephanie? I don't know whether you are. You came to me by way of this radio show or one of my trainings, but I'm going to tell you, thank you for sending me this story. The story begins with these sentences. Chris Kennedy and his four-year-old daughter Emily adorned their front lawn in North Little Rock, Arkansas with Christmas decorations in early November, as they do every year. They strung twinkly white lights along the rim of their home and stationed an inflatable Christmas tree and a towering black Santa on the lawn next to a colorful illuminated sign that reads joy. The spirited Christmas delay, which the Kennedys have showcased for the last few holiday seasons, had only been met with cheer in their neighborhood of Lakewood, Lakewood, Arkansas, Kennedy said. That changed November 23, when Kennedy, 33 years old, checked his mailbox and was stunned to find an anonymous racist letter attacking the seven-foot black Santa on his lawn. The note read this, uh, this is what the note said. Quote, please remove your Negro Santa Claus yard decoration. Santa Claus, you should try not to deceive children into believing that I am Negro. The letter was signed by Santa Claus, okay? So this is Santa writing to the Kennedys. You should try not to deceive children into believing that I am Negro. I am Caucasian and have been for the past 600 years. Your being jealous of my race is no excuse for your dishonesty. Beside that, you are making yourself the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Obviously, your values are not that of the Lakewood area, and maybe you should move to a neighborhood out east with the rest of your racist kind. It was signed by Santa Claus with an image of a white Santa having two thumbs pointing down. So the Kennedys put this up every Christmas season for the last several years. But of course, this is 2020. And this would be the year, okay, when something goes awry. This letter prompted Chris Kennedy to go on Facebook and share that he was outraged, noting that he had put up the Black Santa for the past three years without any problem. In turn, Chris's wife, Itty Kennedy said she wondered if they had made the right choice to live in the Lakewood neighborhood in North Little Rock, Arkansas. In other words, Arkansas is the South, you know. But it turns out that Kennedy's neighbors, so this is where that allyship comes in, everyone, turns out that the Kennedy's neighbors weren't going to allow the Kennedys to be marginalized. No. First, the president of the Lakewood Property Owners Association went to the Kennedy's home. That in and itself is allyship. He got out of his, got out of his comfortable house, got in his car. He drove to the Kennedys. He knocked on their door and he said, "I'm gonna. Can I come into your house? And I want to talk with you and tell you that I believe this is wrong. That is allyship." And he assured the Kennedys, this president of the Lakewood Property Owners Association, he assured the Kennedy, assured them that they were valued members of the of the community. Then, slowly, one house at a time, 
black Santas started showing up on the lawns of the Kennedy's neighbors. The first person to put up a black Santa was Chris Welch, age 70. He, uh, he told the Washington Post this, quote, it was unsolicited. It was undeserved. This is putting the black Santa uh, or uh, sending the letter to the Kennedys. It was on It was on Christmas and hopefully it was not reflected of, of Lakewood and certainly not reflective of the kind of country I want to live in, said Welch, who has lived in the neighborhood with his wife for more than 20 years. He goes on to say, we were all pretty concerned about it and we decided it would be poetic for everyone to get Black Santas. Seeing an array of Black Santas around the community, Welch said, it's making me feel like I wasn't wrong about our neighborhood. This is the way it ought to be. A second neighbor, Ben Keller, 31 years old, felt the same way. When he, and when he and his wife spotted this whole story on Facebook, they were distraught. distraught. And this is what Keller said. When we saw what happened to Chris, we knew we couldn't just stand by and not do anything. We instantly decided what better way to support him than getting our own black Santa display. Do you know so many neighbors of the Kennedys in this Lakewood development in North Little Rock, Arkansas, do you know so many of the neighbors have gotten black Santas that the stores are running out of black Santas in the area? Do you know that? Um, and in fact, the story has gone national, maybe even worldwide, because the Kennedys have been getting messages um, from people, and they in fact got a, black, a second black Santa um, from somebody, sent it from New York City, that's those people out east, okay? Somebody from New York City sent them a second black Santa, so they now have not one, but they have two black Santas on their front yard. People, in addition to that, have been sending money, and the Kennedys have asked that that money go to the local Ronald McDonald House, and the local Ronald McDonald House reports that the money has been pouring in. Finally, Chris Kennedy summed it all up, and this is what he said. Um, ah, um, Hold on. At the end of the day, what was meant for evil was flipped for good. We are showing that we are truly better, uh, getting together and united as one. And so, and then, of course, um, Itty um, Kennedy said, you know what? I think it's okay. I think it's good um, for our neighborhood. And, And now I'm happy that we're raising our child in our neighborhood. And finally, Chris said, the outpouring of love, support, and unity that we've been seeing from the community has just been incredible. People have been stopping and honking. We've gotten cards, gifts, and letters from people, different people in the neighborhood, and even from across the U.S. That, everyone, is the power of allyship, the power of standing up for those who are least. And this is some of the best of what humans can do. When we come back from the break, I've got another story, possibly another two stories, depending on how much time I have, to talk to you about allyship and about how humans can be good to each other. But take this story out of North Little Rock, Arkansas, and remember, 
Santa, black or white or purple or gray or green or whatever color, maybe rainbow you have. Guess what? In the end, everyone, everyone wants Santa to come to everyone's home. True allyship. We'll be back in a second. Ellie 2.0 Radio, I hope you're enjoying my big talking head today. Um, follow me on Twitter, if you would, please, at Ellie Krug. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram, at Ellie J. Krug. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Back on AM 950, Ellie 2.0 Radio with Ellie Krug, your enchanting radio host. Uh-huh, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Hold on now. I've got, hopefully I'm going to be able to fit it in, two more stories of allyship. Two more stories to restore your faith in humanity, those of you who are a cynic. And don't, don't be cynical today, okay? This is not the, please, this is cynic-free Monday, all right? Second story, here we go. Our second story of allyship comes from, of all places, Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, this one comes by way of a December 6th NBC News story by Janelle Griffith. Sandra Deer, for a long time, had worked in the corporate publishing world, but she had a secret dream. She wanted to open a bookstore. And so um, she left her big corporate publishing world job. And in August of 2017, after finding storefront space on Broadway Avenue in Bayonne, New Jersey, Sandra opened the Little Boho Bookshop with great hopes. Now, I need to relate that Sandra is black. This is relevant because just um, the day after opening her bookstore in August of 2017, she found a note in her mailbox that read, quote, get out. We do not want your kind here, unquote. However, because Sandra is just a can-do person, she didn't let that note deter her. And in fact, the store opened to great acclaim. Unfortunately, though, over the past three years, the hateful messages continued to come in the form of notes, emails, and phone calls. But it all came to a head 
on November 20th, when the bookstore began receiving emails every 15 minutes, along with a phone call on that day that threatened Sandra's life. Given that Sandra had five employees, she feared not only for herself, but also for her team members. As a result, she reached out to the Bayonne police, who reacted swiftly by increasing patrols in the neighborhood and posting officers at the bookstore. Um, this is a bookstore, do I need to remind you about? With now police officers having to be there. Incredibly, after this, a 59-year-old man by the name of Quinn, Quinn Zheng entered the bookstore and spoke the same hateful words to one of the officers stationed there. So, remember, I told you, 2% social pass. Obviously, he was the culprit. He was behind all of this hateful messaging to Sandra, and he was arrested. The next day, Sandra wrote a blog post about all of this. And what happened then was an outpouring of support by customers. People began to travel from all over the New York City, New Jersey metro area to patronize the bookstore. On Small Business Saturday, which was a week ago, she could only have six customers in the store at, the, at a time due to the virus. But others, other people waited in the rain. There was a line extending out the door, down the street. People waited in the, in the rain to get into the store as a way to support Sandra. And Sandra brought them cookies and coffee as they waited. As Sandra summed it up, quote, people from our community, they've, they've pretty much stepped up with COVID and said, no, not this business, not our small businesses. We're going to support them as best we can. And she went on to say, we're all going through difficult things and you can do one of two things. You can cower from it or you can walk through it and learn from it. And this has been a teachable moment. <laughs> Allyship, supporting a small bookstore in the face of threats of violence. <laughs> By the way, parenthetically, there are a number of small bookstores in the greater Twin Cities area. Please remember them at Christmas time. You know, you might want to go get gift certificates from them, you know, to give out at Christmas to friends. Small bookstores. Yes, Barnes & Noble's just fine. But, you know, there's Majors and & Quinn and there are a lot of other smaller bookstores. So please support them patronize them. My second story about allyship, so this is actually the third story in this, you know, block of time here where ordinarily I have interviews, but now you get Ellie's talking head. Our third story comes from the Cincinnati area. And if you are a Ripple newsletter re reader, you'll know about this story because I wrote about it in the Ripple that came out two weeks ago. Um, so, a couple years ago, I spoke at a conference for foster care providers and youth who had recently aged out of foster care. That experience taught me several lessons, including the value of ensuring that siblings in foster care, because usually siblings are placed with separate foster families, if that conference and meetings, because I, I met former foster kids, um, that conference taught me that the, there's great value in allowing siblings in foster care to see each other. Many times they're separated, as I said. 
one would think that it's a no-brainer to allow foster kids who are placed with separate foster families to get together, you know, with their siblings. But that's not uh, usually, that's not always the case. And many times the ability to see your sibling who's also in another foster home, that's used kind of as a, you know, as a weapon, you know, to promote behavior. I know if you don't behave, you're not going to go get to see your sister next weekend, which I think is cruel. There shouldn't be limits or conditions on whether you keep in touch, in contact with your sibling. At any rate, it was with great interest then that I read a story about 29-year-old Robert Carter, who had entered the foster care system in Hamilton County, Ohio, which is near Cincinnati. He entered the system as a preteen. He was 12 years old when he entered it. He had, at that time, eight siblings, some of whom he did not see for years because of the foster care system. Eventually, Robert aged out of foster care, and then he became the guardian of two of his younger siblings. Fast forward to more recently, Robert and then his partner, um, his partner has since, they have since separated. They became the foster parents for three brothers. So in this instance, um, Robert was able to get three brothers, put them in foster care with him, okay? And, um, And originally, those three had been living in three separate foster families, but Robert made it work that all three of them came to live with him. God, Robert, that is allyship in the greatest degree, but go on, it gets even better. Robert then learned that the boys, the three brothers that he had as foster kids, that they had two sisters who, the two sisters were then living in separate foster families. As a result, Robert reached out to the girls' foster mothers and arranged for a meeting of all the siblings where everyone Children and foster parents ended up crying during this reunion. Robert had already decided that he was going to adopt the three boys before this reunion with all five siblings occurred. But then Robert said, when I saw their joy at being together, reunited, he said, that was it. I was going to adopt all five of them. Do I need to remind you that Robert is 29 years old? He's self-employed. He's got a couple of businesses. God love him. But now, a month ago, a month and a half ago, he adopted 20, all five of those siblings. They range in age. I haven't given that to you. From four <laughs> to 11 29-year-old man, now the adoptive parent of those children. So I put this story out. So, I mean, talk about allyship, okay? That's about as magnanimous of allyship, highest level of allyship that you could ever possibly get, becoming an adoptive parent to five siblings. So this story went out in the ripple, And then I got an email from a Ripple reader who said, Ellie, is there a way that I can give Robert Carter money to help him as he's raising those five kids? And I'm like, I don't know. So I went and I Googled Robert Carter GoFundMe page. And you know what? There it was. An effort to raise money, $150,000 for Robert Carter. That GoFundMe page had been up four days. And they had already raised $147,000. I went back and I visited the page last week because I was going to do a training and I wanted to talk about this. Do you know what? They raised the level 
of the GoFundMe from one hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. And do you know they've raised now? I think it's about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars for Robert Carter. Some people have given five thousand dollars anonymously. Uh, Patricia Arquette, the actress, had given three thousand dollars because when when allies show up, more allies show up. It's a rippling effect. It is. That is the power of allyship, my friends. That's the power of the good, empathetic, human heart that we idealists always see, acknowledge, and talk about. And now you have some things to talk about. Share about this show. Hey, you'll be able to get a link of this show in a little bit. And then share the link. We'll be back in a second with my C-Block. Thanks. on AM 950, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, about idealism. I hope those stories made you smile. I do, because we need more of those stories. And you know what, and I want to make sure you understand this. Those acts of goodness, those acts of kindness, they happen across this world, I don't know, 80, 100, million times a day. They do. We just don't hear about them because they're not sexy. So, hey, listeners, keep sending me stories about how humans are good to each other. Will you do that for me, please? Ellie at gmail.com. Send me those stories. All right, I'm in my C block now where my work as an idealist, or at least what I'm trying to do about changing the world, is something I highlight. But today it's a little bit about personal news. Um, so... Uh, you know, let me begin about uh, three weeks ago or so. Um, I gave uh, C Block where I talked about how the election had made me make some decisions. You may remember that if you're a regular listener. Um, one of those decisions, in light of the election, uh, was not to return to my home state of Iowa. I'm still, I am an Iowan at heart. I am and I always will be. But I decided not to go back to Iowa because of how conservative the state went in the election. Not only did they go for Trump, but both houses and the governorship are red. Um, and there's nothing wrong with red except that <clears throat> the legislature leaders, the Republican leaders, came out and afterwards and said they had a mandate. Now, they believe they had a mandate from the voters. And if you are transgender, as I am... Mandate is not a word that you want to hear legislators use in conservative states because, among other things, that means they will come after me and my community. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go to Iowa and do work. It just means I don't want to live in a state where I'm devalued. So um, I decided to stay in Minnesota, and today I am sharing that I have bought a house in rural Carver County, south of Victoria. 
Now, you may ask, why would I do that? I presently live in downtown Minneapolis at the corner of 8th Street in Portland. I mean, you can't get any more downtown than I am. Um, you may ask, why are you going out there, Ellie? Well, <laughs> I know it sounds kind of dumb, but Carver County, rural Carver County, reminds me of Iowa. It does. I mean, I'm gonna, my house will be a stone's throw from cornfields. And except for the fact that there are lakes and hills and forests in the area, it's just like Iowa. I hope I made you laugh when I said that. Seriously, I am well aware that Carver County is Trump country. I mean, as I was driving around looking at houses, I saw Trump signs and flags. This is post-election. But I also know this. And I mean this, everyone. We will never change America if we remain in our, our little safe spaces and don't interact with each other. The only way to change attitudes, the only way to move the needle as we so desperately need to do, the only way for that to happen is through the power of human familiarity the power of getting to know another human, the power of hearing their story, power of you hearing their story, the power of understanding, oh my gosh, I didn't know you went through that too. I went through that. The power of understanding that, you know, you have a lot of wants, the same wants and desires in life. And I am certain that for most of the people that I am going to meet in rural Carver County, I am certain that I likely will be the very first real live transgender person they will ever have talked to. I'm not telling you that like, oh, look at me, I'm special, okay? I tell you that because I understand there's some responsibility here for me to make sure that whomever I meet understands that transgender people are just like everyone else. We want the same things out of life we want to love and be loved. We want our children to succeed just like you do. We want to be free of physical and emotional violence just like you do. And transgender people, Ellie Krug in particular, we want 20 minutes of peace just like you do. Um, however, this is not without pause, of course. And as I was preparing uh, the show, you, you have to understand the stories that I just relayed to you about um, the Kennedys in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, Sandra Brand um, with the Boho uh, Bookstore. I didn't do those stories till this morning. I did this C block last night. I prepared it. And as I was doing the stories this morning about people who were other or, quote, different in places that weren't used to them, how they reacted. Okay, you had the Kennedys getting that note about Black Santa, and then you had Sarah Brand literally having her life threatened. Um, as I <laughs> was preparing this morning, I'm like, hey, Ellie, guess what? Um, you, uh, you are going to be one of those other, quote word, quote word, quote other people in a place with people that very much are alike. And so um, there is some degree of apprehension I have um, about going to a place where I very well may stick out. Um, but all of that is tailored by this other thing. 
it's countered by this other thing, which is I literally believe in the goodness of most humans. I do. I will believe that until my dying breath. I do. I believe that most people want to do the right thing. The other great thing about getting this house is that I will now have a backyard, <laughs> which means I can finally get a puppy, a golden retriever puppy. <laughs> Wish me luck. Okay, that's the show. A big thanks to our sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. And a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you, uh, you've earned it today, that's for sure. And uh, I appreciate you uh, being so good to me with my talking head. And my listeners, my thanks to you. I really appreciate that you tune in every week, either on, to, on Mondays like we are right now or on Sunday afternoons at 1 o'clock when there's a replay tell others about this show you know i'm trying to change the world i can't do it without you and you in the time between now and next week you go you go out try and change the world take care bye better futures minnesota's reuse warehouse has big news we have a brand new online store check out reusebfm.com this is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse appliances building materials kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you.